Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information that you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is part of a series of episodes on diabetes technology featuring a Q&A with Livleen Gill and Rachel Stahl-Salzman. Welcome, Livleen and Rachel. Thanks so much for having us. I'm excited about this episode. I want to take a moment to introduce each of you first. So I will start with Livleen Gill. Livleen is a president and CEO of Apostle Group LLC, a consulting company that provides innovative solutions to clients in healthcare, food, and nutrition. She's also the CEO of Wholesome Village Company in Rockville, Maryland. Previously, she was a private practice nutrition consultant for more than 20 years and food and nutrition services director and outpatient dietitian at healthcare centers in Maryland. She will serve as the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics president in 2024 to 2025 year. Next, I want to introduce Rachel. Rachel is a registered dietitian and diabetes care and education specialist in the division of endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City. Rachel is passionate about empowering individuals to make sustainable lifestyle changes and leverage diabetes technology and digital health to improve their health and quality of life. So again, welcome Livleen and Rachel. Thank you. We will start talking about our first topic, which is we want to dive into continuous glucose monitoring. So I want to hear from Rachel, if you can explain to me the definition of CGM technology and what specifically are the standards of care in diabetes? All right. So this topic is so exciting to all of us. I think we're all seeing, you know, the the breadth of technology with CGMs on helping to improve care for those living with diabetes. So for those listening, a continuous glucose monitor known as a CGM is a device that measures and displays your glucose levels in the interstitial fluid, and it's doing that continuously. These devices consist of a sensor inserted just under the skin. Uh, many of them are you know, placed on the back of the upper arm. There's a transmitter and a receiver or reader or a smartphone, which would display the glucose reading. So typically with a smartphone, there's a connected app based on the CGM device that's gonna be through Bluetooth connection uh, showing the person's glucose values, showing the direction with trends and arrows and offering so many great uh, features and benefits for them to understand their values. Many of these devices are typically worn for seven to 14 days, and then they're replaced, except for there's one on the market known as Effersense E3, which is the only implantable CGM. And that lasts under the skin for six months in the United States, which is pretty, pretty interesting. This topic of CGM is really exciting because the standards of care in diabetes from the American Diabetes Association just came out 
Um, and in their technology chapter on CGMs, they share that it is becoming the standard of care for people with diabetes, particularly those who take insulin to manage diabetes. And this is in line with many other international guidelines, including the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and the International Society for Pediatric and Adolescent Diabetes. So all of these organizations together are recognizing the important role that this technology has. Yeah, so it's certainly amazing. And just from the last time that you were on our podcast talking about these different like diabetes technology, I think like, I don't remember is the new one with the six months, like that's just fascinating, the whole thing. And then trying to keep up with all the technology seems like a part-time job in itself. So I want to commend you. (laughs) And all of these devices keep getting smarter and and more accurate, more affordable. So even the companies that we have been on the market for a while, they're every, you know, Every time there's a new FDA approval, this add-on, this benefit, right? Even in the past year, um, two of the devices, Freestyle Libre 2 and 3 and Dexcom G7, have been approved for um, gestational diabetes and diabetes in pregnancy. So that was also a really exciting update. Yes. And then with the update, that lends itself nicely to how do you then take all these different apps and technology that you're using and talk about onboarding people with diabetes to use them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It can feel very overwhelming to think about all the different options out there. And I think, you know, when it comes to onboarding the person, it's really starting with listening to to them. You know, I think about finding out what their biggest concerns are, what are their trouble points in diabetes management, and thinking about how technology, you know, could help in their individual goals. Yes. And then I want to ask Lynne, her experience with like just listening to what Rachel is saying with all these, the new technology that's coming out and how do you keep it, keep up with it, with the standards of care in diabetes, but then also in your area with onboarding people, what would you say to that, Liveline? Great question, Lisa. You know, keeping on top of technology and we've been bombarded by technology, good, um, all good in, in trying to manage uh, diabetes and to streamline care. But one of the things that for the individuals that we work with uh, who are, you know, adults and older adults and our physician and nurse practitioners and RDs who take a while to adopt technology, right? So we had to learn how, what, what our patients were coming in with, what they could do, what were their pain points in terms of you know, medications, the number of medications they were taking, the frustrations that both the patients and the care team were seeing in being able to manage their A1C. That's kind of how we set up our protocols, um, our processes to starting to embed. And we started with a small advisory council, which had our team, including patients in there, so that we could see how we were going to, you know, proceed with the adoption of technology and kind of individualize the care for those uh, people we were taking care of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I really like the advisory council because I think it's helpful not only, like, because we're not in a vacuum, like creating these policies by ourselves. It's always good to to have other people involved in, in the creation of it. And then the checkpoint to go back and say, okay, is this working? What can we modify and to move forward? 
So and I would add, yeah, I love the idea too of getting that patient perspective because that speaks volumes. And, you know, setting up the onboarding, I'm sure Livleen can agree, it's not just a you know, putting the sensor on and letting them go. There is so much learning that goes on, on with these technologies and the role of the registered dietitian is so important to help support them in understanding what this data is and understanding how we're gonna look at the data, you know, and how that's gonna help inform care. You know, it's, it is such a comprehensive um, part of, of an endocrinology and primary care program for CGMs. Yes. And like, I, I know in the another episode that we had, Rachel, we were talking about like the advancements and everything, but just thinking back to even 10 years ago, like now there's so much data, whereas before you didn't have this, like just the capabilities. I just find this so fascinating yes. and the future, the bright future ahead, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But all of it can't happen without RDNs. So if we talk about the RDNs, can you highlight the role of the, the RDN for us? Because it's such a crucial role here. Yeah, absolutely. The dietitian can play a key role in supporting both other clinicians on understanding technology, as well as the people living with diabetes themselves. Uh, so some examples of, of what we've done in, in our dietitians is, is that we are also diabetes care and education specialists. So that is the CDCES credential, which has given us and given me personally just so much knowledge and, and resources and confidence to really take the lead in championing diabetes technology and understanding really its application uh, for supporting diabetes care. Um, so we do in-services with our clinicians. We have monthly meetings on diabetes topics. We bring in experts in the field to, you know, now we do so much virtually. We talk on Zoom. So we're able to get a lot of people on these meetings to, you know, stay up to the technology. And for the patients, I think just having dedicated time to educate them and support them and follow up with them with the data to help keep them engaged. Yes. And I love hearing that too, because you're you're really showing that it is that team, including the patient, like, whereas it's like before it was like, oh, I have this patient, but the patient was kind of like on the receiving end of it. Now the patient really gets mm -hmm. to be part of it, which I love hearing. So thank you for sharing that. And Leveline, I'm curious, how do you get primary care clinicians more comfortable using technology? I'm going to, you know, segue into your other question a little bit towards the end with the RDN. And the RDN really is the key to um, to all of this and bringing the team together. So the RDN has the knowledge and the skill set for working with individuals with diabetes. And one of the other things that is really helpful is we are able to, we have MNT so we can be reimbursed for those medical nutrition therapy. And if you have the other program, um, the DSME program, you also um, can be able to bill if you have um, an RD as the lead. So in our program, we were able to get the primary care buy-in by showing them the data, showing them how by bringing in the technology, how we were able to improve the care and personalize the care of the patient. And we would do mini meetings with them. We would bring in reps from um, out from outside to talk about the technology and how and show the data, including the RDNs and the NPs would show the data in our practice. And we would have these hands-on kind of workshops 
for them to get comfortable. I also, as the, you know, as the CEO of the company, I was also, I'm also able to leverage by making them attend conferences and some of the continuing education in these so that they start to get up to speed. Uh, but the data is the most helpful when they see their, their patients' A1C improving, right? That really becomes the key and they can get them off medications and there it's not just shot in the dark, um, just keep adding medication, but they really have true data to look at. So that's part of how we were able to bring them on, on this journey with us. Yeah, so I love that again, showcasing not only the RVM, but the entire team. And then of course, the all the data that, that we have access to these days, I think is incredibly helpful. So thank you for that. I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some barriers to the use of CGM. So Rachel, do you want to talk about some barriers for that? Sure. Yeah, there are definitely some barriers to using a continuous glucose monitor. And how I think about it are kind of three different categories. And I'm sure Lovely could could add on here. I think about barriers for the person living with diabetes. I think about the barriers around the healthcare professional and really a systems level kind of aspect. And so there's a lot to unpack from those three categories, but I'll just touch on, on a few briefly first. Um, when I think about the person with diabetes, I think some things that I've seen in practice is there's definitely an aspect of a fear of change, right? I think we could all agree of this, if it ain't broke, don't fix it idea, <laughs> right? People are, right? I'm, comfortable with what they're doing. They, you know, think it's going well, but, you know, how can we really support the use of technology to help them to understand what else is out there and what more they can gather from the data? And I also think there's, you know, the lack of device knowledge, right? People, you know, there certainly are more commercials than ever. We could all think about the Super Bowl ad with uh, Nick Jonas with Dexcom and there's magazines and there's other media talking about technology. But I, I still think there for a lot of people, uh, they aren't aware, you know, they come to our office after having living with diabetes, maybe they transition care from somewhere else. You know, we sit down with them, we show them, you know, just, I like to give a refresher, like this is what's out there. Maybe they hadn't thought about um, insulin pump therapy in many years, you know, things have evolved so much in the past few years. So I think as a provider, how important it is for us to be up to speed so that way we can educate the people we work with. I was going to say that's such a great point with the fear of change, because like, if you think about even a general app, like, you know, when you're doing an update for, to your apps and you're like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And then you go in the interface and it looks totally different. You're like, where's that at? So I can imagine that what that's like for a patient Kind of like, oh, what did they change now? How just trying to keep up with it? You need like an uh, an online manual to do that. But go ahead, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to like close with like the, kind of the higher level, like the systems level component barriers. I think you know, sure, everyone's familiar. Listening, you know, the idea of some concerns around insurance coverage, around the cost of some of these devices, breaking down barriers to support more equitable access to these technologies are still. Um, you know, barriers that we face, though, definitely improving. Yes, cost and accessibility, high on that list. So thank you, Rachel, for that. And Liv Lean, what are your thoughts? Because as Rachel was saying, like, not just there's so many different aspects of it, the person living with diabetes, the the barriers to clinicians in primary care or assisted living per se. Absolutely. And Rachel did a great job, you know, putting those three buckets um there and I and I'll 
take the I'll I'll talk about the professional side. So one of the barriers for adoption in for the clinicians, um, and when I say clinician, I'm talking about the physicians here, is is they're not embedded. It's not easy to get the data. That it's not embedded in with their electronic health records, right? They have to go somewhere else to get the data. Um, and that it takes a lot of time. Second thing with Rachel talking about, um, you know, the cost. We have a lot of prior auths that we have to do from plan to plan, different plans, and you can't keep them straight. And that requires a lot of time. It not only is that, but on the individual side, what we find is we deal with older adults, right? So 65 and over, we uh, 60% of our population uh, that we see is, is in that. Privacy is a big issue for them. Where what, Where is this going? They can't seem to, you know, that the, you put this thing on, on your skin, but how are you able to look? Who else is looking in there? That's a big concern for them. And the the technology literacy, that's a, there are huge gaps in there for them. Um, and so those are kind of things that, are barriers for adoption and making it really mainstream um, for uh, for professionals and for individuals living with diabetes. Yes, that there are so such great points, and that kind of begs the question: since there are so many advances, and Rachel, I'm sure you can speak to this as well. Is have you seen like from when you first started working early adopters of the technology to now? Like, what would you say? Like, do you find that more that this is becoming less of a barrier or do you think like that has changed at any, the curve on that has changed in any way? Yes. Uh, yeah. I do think the the curve has changed. Um, you know, a lot of these devices are um, trying to transcend barriers around digital literacy, making it easier with language, with color coding, um, you know, to uh, allow more people to be comfortable with these devices. But I still think it goes back to us as registered dietitians working with people with diabetes and other clinicians to make sure we're providing the optimal support and education to make sure that they have success with the, with the options. Yes, and you kind of just, I was gonna ask a question about what strategies have each of you done to help overcome these barriers? So here, here's what, what, we, what we've done. So prior to the patient coming in for their appointment with the physician, well, we have the RD who's gone over the reports and makes the highlights, puts everything onto a note, and then pings the physician with it. So, and the report is downloaded, downloaded and in the patient's chart. So that is one way uh, for the physician, they don't have to go looking, it's a time saver. The number two thing for, for the patients that we've done is we have um, written material. We have written material with the font size that uh, that you know the advisory council came up with that this looks uh, looks good in the format that is easy to understand. We also have that before we put the CGM before they have that they spend about an hour with our clinician, whether it's the RD or the nurse practitioner, depending on the timing of the of the visit. They spend about an hour with them going over every aspect of it with the written material, with feeling it, you know, all of that. Um, and then we set them up with 
daily phone calls, uh, touch points for the first week, which has really helped some of the barriers and them adopting the technology, both on the provider side and on the individual side. So those are some of the things that we've done uh, for, for this. That's wonderful. And the daily phone calls and as well as the other thing you're mentioning, but just putting yourself in a patient perspective, that would be fantastic to get like a daily call to help you. Because a lot of times, you know, say, for example, you're discharged from a hospital and then they may call once. But the fact that it's daily, I think, is more helpful than just that one touch point. So that's thank you for sharing that. And then, Rachel, I want to circle back to you on is there any additional strategies that you want to share about the barriers? Yeah, I would just highlight, you know, to help overcome them, very similar to Livlean, we need the time to help educate them for success. So very similarly on, on that front and encouraging them to, you know, have regular follow-ups is so important uh, because this data is typically all through cloud-based data, we can access it in real time. Uh, we rely and are so fortunate to have a wonderful staff of medical assistants who send the connections to the different systems to make sure that the patient's data from the CGM is connected to our clinic and similar to Livlean so that it's downloaded into the medical record in advance of our appointment or in, or we can look it up in between visits. If the patient reaches out, hey, you know, I'm noticing my glucose levels have been high in the morning. Can you take a look at my, you know, CGM readings and, you know, see what we can do. And that allows, clues me in to kind of peek in in real time. I don't have to worry about them coming into the office to drop their glucose meter, to download the data. You know, this has alleviated so much of that, which has helped make things much more efficient and get the patients the answers when they need it rather than waiting, you know, three months later and they've already forgotten what their concern was, you know, months ago. Yes. Excellent point. That really is important. The real-time data to have. And, you know, one of the things Lisa, both Rachel and I haven't clarified, uh, talked about, which is important. And I know uh, in our earlier conversation, I know Rachel's clinic and we do this too, that, we use a professional CGM, which is um, when there's some hesitancy of the barriers to show, you know, how that data is going to be used with the individual, um, which is for a two week period that we use it uh, before we can transition, before we either transition them to their personal CGM, or if there is an issue that, you know, cost is prohibitive or the insurance doesn't cover, but we at least get some data that we can see where the issues are um, are lying. So um, that is one other way that we've been able to overcome mm -hmm. some of the barriers. Right, Rachel? Would you agree? I, yes, I completely agree. We utilize the professional CGMs quite often, especially in those cases. So that way patients don't feel like, you know, we're going to be prescribing it. You're going to be wearing this all the time rather than, you know, hey, let's try do a trial see what you like. Let's take a look at the data together. And oftentimes that unlocks so much uh, insights for the person that they can have it. And it's also really helpful for those whose insurance don't cover it because the professional CGM is actually bought by the clinic themselves. So there really should no, be no cost to the patient. Oh, wow. So then my question here would be, because many of our listeners are, they are clinical inpatient dietitians. So they may be seeing the technology more so than somebody else that's that's not working in that setting. So would you say like they kind of use, do you know what they use in the hospital for CGMs? That's a great question, Lisa. I spent many years as an inpatient dietitian um, and 
even in the years I was there, I would, you know, definitely year after year see more diabetes devices um, around as they become more accessible and approved for use for, for people with diabetes. Right now, CGM devices are not approved by the FDA for inpatient management. Now, that doesn't mean that a person who comes into the hospital wearing it has to take it off. But in terms of needing a point of care glucose measurement for you know, the nursing for insulin dosing decisions or for hypoglycemia assessment, glycemic management through point of care glucose is still the preferred method. But I will say with the standards of care, you know, there's always new updates every year, if not sooner. And the research is evolving and definitely helping support the use of CGM in the hospital. Um, but as it stands now, it's still not FDA approved in, in patients. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. And is there any other comments on this topic? Uh, I would I would love to hear each of your top takeaways for this discussion on continuous glucose monitoring. So to piggyback on what Rachel said about inpatient, I'm also going to say that the same issues that Rachel has outlined for the hospitals, we have the same things in long-term care facilities, nursing home, rehab centers, and assisted living. Oh, the, the other challenge over there is you have an assisted living frontline staff, which are med techs. They're not trained with it. The regulations are also not, they're more for point of care testing. So even if those individuals go in there with these CGMs, it becomes, they are still being tested. They have the CGM and they haven't adopted. And then we are in this land like, okay, now what, what do we do? Because they can't stay there uh, with the CGM because the facility doesn't take responsibility. So some of those things have to change in order for the full adoption of these um, CGMs to be in those um, inpatient facilities and uh, places of living where uh, older adults live too. All right. I, pre I appreciate that. Thank you. I would add too, Livleen, what's been helpful for us on the inpatient side is we have an inpatient glycemic management team. And of course, you know, that takes, um, you know, takes a team, but uh, these individuals on the glycemic management team would get consulted for any person with diabetes that's coming in on a CGM or an insulin pump that they would help evaluate to see if it's possible for them to at least continue it, even though we're still going to do the point of care glucose measurements. But, you know, having the patient feel comfortable, right? This insulin pump, the CGM has been something of part of their day to day, you know, for many years, for example. So we always want to try to help support them to continue it. But having the expertise on staff, right, at all of those skilled nursing facilities and various places would be important to help see that through. Agreed. Absolutely. Yes. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion on continuous glucose monitoring. And I will say my two takeaways are data and teamwork from this discussion. And I'm curious, Rachel, what would you say yours are? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's exciting for the role of the registered dietitian to be that, you know, key player in helping to unlock this data and help the person to understand and apply it to help them improve their outcomes. Yes. And how about you, Livleen? I totally agree with, with Rachel and you about this. You know, dietitians are the key to this. They have the skills they and they can be the linchpin of the team to bring it together for uh, both the uh, professional side, the clinician side, and for the uh, individuals living with diabetes. And I thank you both so much for sharing your expertise on this topic with us today. Our pleasure. Thanks, Lisa.
For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.